With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This crowd rises to its feet. Paparo slammed it home. Garland left wing, three ball. Perfect. Garland in front of the lane, locked up. Only pow. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Pow with the left hand and a foul. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Chase Down is presented by Fubo TV. Watch over 100 channels of live sports and TV for half the cost of cable. There's no contract and no commitment. Try for free at FuboTV.com. The offseason keeps rolling on. We got more team previews for you, and I'm very excited for our guest today. But before we get to that, I got to introduce my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. We podcasted yesterday. I, I'm 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 not in in season form. I gotta get I gotta get up there. You know, I gotta get the energy where it needs to be. Thank God we have a guest because I can just kind of bail. I, I can tell you're winded, man. Like you you've got to uh, you got to start firing off some takes when you go take the dog for a walk or whatever. Like just get that cardio up. Get get yeah. your takes. It's, it's like game. running with ankle weights. I'll just be I'll just be firing off takes to the neighbors. Well, the good news is we got one of our favorite guests uh, back on the podcast, ready to carry the load, ready to help us through this podcast from Diamond Up Rocks as well as Liberty Ballers. It's Jackson Frank. Jackson, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm uh, I'm glad that I'm on the second night of the first back to back of the year. It sounds like uh, two of you are kind of getting your your wits about you on the it's, you know it's the you're in Indiana on a, on a cold October night and you're not ready for that second back to back. So I'm happy to uh, carry the load for sure. Well, every time the Cavs play the Sixers, it's usually some sort of schedule loss or weird thing like that. So this this is a little bit fitting to, to have you on for it. It's funny. I was searching your name um, just to see, you know, with Cleveland Cavaliers, just to see, you know, when last time we had you on the podcast was. And one of the first links that came up was IMDb. Apparently, there, there's an IMDb thread for every time we post a podcast and, and uh, chase down Wait. with Jackson. Yeah, it's on IMDb. I have no Nuh-uh. idea, Carl. Yeah. Are you making this up? I'm not. And, and that was one of the first things that came up. So that, that kind of excited me. Our names aren't on there, but yours is Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I didn't know I was on IMDb, but now, uh, now I am one of the accomplishments, I suppose. Well, I, I just wanted to brighten your day. You know, it, it's Tuesday. <laughs> it, we're still in the offseason. We're waiting for NBA action. What is this? Th- there is the potential for moves in the NBA, but there isn't really any actual news outside of what's going on in the World Cup as Carter continues to scan IMDb for the next 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why is this happening? I don't know. I don't know. But it's not great audio for our audio only listeners. We're something special. I'll tell you what. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, But Jackson, I want to start things off by um, talking about the Cavs, which we do often on this podcast. Uh, I want to know what you made of the Cavs offseason, because I I know you've been high on this core um, when we've had you on in the past. You know, you've sung the praises of Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and what they got going on. But I I really want to get kind of what your read is on, on the moves the Cavs made this summer. Yeah, I think, you know, everyone who you watched the playoff, that playoff series against the Knicks even casually could tell that they needed more shooting, I think particularly in the front court on the wings. Um, and because of that lack of shooting, it made life really hard for their their core four. And that's not to say that the, the only reasons, you know, Garland or Mitchell or, or Mobley or Allen had their struggles against the Knicks were because of that shooting, but it certainly exacerbated them. So, uh, you know, on the first day of free agency or first couple of days, they clearly tried, tried to address those, those issues and signed a couple of, uh, really good shooters. Uh, you know, I, I obviously Max Truss's numbers have ebbed and, ebbed and flowed, but 
Um, he's a guy who's with a lot of versatility, a lot of volume. And then Yang's a guy who's basically been 40, 41% all, all four or five years throughout his career in the NBA. Um, and always has a big high three point rate, even though he's more of a bench guy. Um, so I think that'll help a lot. And I, you know, the, the goal would be um, between the added spacing there and some more development from the core four, particularly Evan Mobley, maybe Darius Garland as the focus of the development there. Um, you can, you can get over that hump and, you can become a team that is, you know, making second, third round and beyond. I think um, there's, there's kind of a, it's, it's the classic once expectations happen, you kind of get restless, right? Like the Cavs mm-hmm. I, two years ago at this point, you know, we're, we're in the play on, we're a really fun team. And then they made the big move for Donovan Mitchell. I think everyone kind of expected them to be really good. And because of how good they were in the regular season, how good some of their advanced metrics were um, you get restless after a, after a pretty ugly playoff showing, but um, it takes time. It's really hard to win the playoffs. So uh, I think they've made some good moves, but it, it's still going to come down to how good can, you know, Evan Mobley get offensively. How good can Darius Garland be? Like what, what kind of scoring volume can he handle? Uh, I think that was kind of the biggest thing in that first round series. Is I don't think his numbers were bad, but he wasn't able to do and produce as many opportunities as the Cavs needed. Um, and that's kind of the big thing there. And obviously, you know, Jared Allen struggles and, and kind of Jonathan Mitchell's shot making struggles in conjunction with his point of attack defense that, that regressed. Um, so uh, I like the offseason a lot, but I do think it's it's going to come down to that core four still. But the hope, like I said, is that those those two big offseason additions plus Ty Jerome um, can make life easier for, for the for the core group there. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I saw a friend of the podcast, Mac Perry, posted today uh, every single Max Struess made three uh, from last <laughs> season, and it was over 41 minutes, and that just made me so happy. I'm like, volume three-point shooting. That's what we've needed for a while. Like, that, that's that's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to come down to, to how good the core plays, but I just feel like they're in a better position to, you know, kind of explore the space, right? Like, you... Mobley's playmaking is going to be better with more space. So Garland being able to get where he wants to on the court and make others better, that's going to be easier. And um, obviously uh, one part of that offseason is the addition of George Niang, uh, who came over from the Sixers after spending the last two years there. I want to know uh, what you think Cavs fans should expect uh, from Niang. What, what, how do you kind of envision his role with this team or what do you think the best possible use of his talents would be with this roster? I think he's he's a really good seventh or eighth man. Uh, you know the you know the Sixers and the Jazz have had their own struggles the last couple of years, but um, last few years in the playoffs. But Niang's been a part of some really good teams in both those organizations. Um, you know, as much as you can criticize and can should criticize the Jazz and Sixers for their failures, making the second round is is a tough thing to do. Only eight teams did every year, and so for Niang to be a key part of both of those teams or both those those groups or appearances uh, is a testament to him. Uh, he's a guy that I think in certain matchups can close. Uh, he, he definitely did that at times for the Sixers. He would think he was, I think he was really important to when they did have success offensively in the second round against the Celtics this past year. Um, he was usually kind of at the hardest of those lineups, just his ability to, uh, shoot quick trigger threes, uh, add a little more on the move stuff this past year, then get a little bit quicker. Um, we're not looking at a guy who's going to be the Duncan Robinson type necessarily flying around screens, but can do a little bit of that stuff. Um, I thought he improved putting the ball in the deck this past year somewhat, got a little quicker. Um, the rebounding, I do think, is, is, a, is a big issue. Obviously, the Cavs had their issues on that, you know, in that facet. The Sixers had their own issues. And so um, Niang just isn't a very explosive guy. He's not much of a traditional athlete, of course. Um, so, so that hurts. But I thought he also improved some of his off-the-bounce game. 
Uh, one thing I'm really looking forward to uh, with him and Struis is kind of how the coaching staff leverages their shooting with guys like Mitchell and Garland, um, because there wasn't a lot of front court shooting last year. And so if you're not really able to switch those actions, because, you know, a guy like Struis can maybe flow into a pick and roll or Niang kind of likes to do this weird post up into a hook shot. Um, that doesn't always look pretty, but kind of went down at a semi-regular rate last year. Um, that, that helps a lot. I think part of the issue, you know, with trying to involve Garland Mitchell, a lot of actions, you can just switch that right and put more length on them. But if you have a bigger guy who could be a front court shooter and kind of involve them together in actions, it makes it tougher for defenses. So uh, I like I like Niang a lot of the seventh, eighth guy who I think will close certain games if, you know, let's say maybe you don't want to have both you know, Mobley and Allen out there, you know, for you know, at the same time, just because facing issues or one of them's, you know, resting or in foul trouble, things like that. You can put the Niang at the floor pretty comfortably. And, um, you know, I think you have, and I think at the same time, it, I, I see some parallels in not in the same way at all, necessarily. Like that's my, how do I phrase this about um, <laughs> contrary myself? I see some parallels in the way that when marketing came over tiers, they tried to use them at the three, and obviously he turned out to be a pretty dang good wing defender, but the idea initially was, okay, let's have Mobley now and kind of cover for him and close down the space he has to, um, you know, address. And I think that's going to be similar with Niang at time to play the three and maybe he's not great at the three, but because you have two backline enforcers that it, it doesn't have to have as much responsibility on Niang's plate. So that could be kind of the goal there. And um, I really am curious to kind of see what the, the trade-off is defensively because, um, for all of maybe some of the weird decisions the Cavs made and Jared Allen made with his help positioning and stuff, the Cavs still ended up with the best defensive rate in the playoffs. No, it's kind of a weird thing yeah. to, to talk about, but the defense was not the issue at all. It was the fact they couldn't uh, drop a ball in an ocean from a boat. Um, and so and I'm curious. Even with the, and, and for those that don't know how those metrics work, that accounts for defensive rebounding. So like, yeah. even though they got decimated on the boards, they still had the best defense. So like, yeah. I do think that like, even accounting for that, like they, they were still amazing on that end. So I'm fascinated to kind of see if you're playing a Coro in less less time because you because you worry about the lack of, the fact that he gets ignored, even though he is a very good uh, you know point of attack defender and has improved you know his, his numbers as a shooter. Um, what's kind of trade off there with a Niang, maybe the three or a Struis, who are much lesser defenders, especially at the point of attack where the Cavs don't have much um, you know beyond a Coro, especially now that Lamar Stevens is gone. Um, kind of what the trade-off is there. I think it's a worthwhile trade-off. I think both those guys are better players at this stage of their career than Okoro. Um, but I am kind of I am curious to what degree. Like, can you just bank on Allen and Mobley covering enough? It maybe if like, can you just be content to have guys like Tatum or Trey or Brunson crush you from mid-range, but they're not getting anything at the rim, and that's enough for your offense, or your defense, getting to survive with a much better offense around around them so that's kind of what i'm curious but i do think the Cavs have had a really good offseason i think niang is a guy that um got a lot of flack from sixers people even some riders at times because because of his some his liability as a defender in space and rebounding issues and and whatnot but just was a guy who i thought always made things a lot easier on the aggregate for for key players like a Harden and an mb and a maxi and so I think he's going to do the same thing for the Cavs. And I just think he's a really consummate role player. Um, and also a guy that I, that I think gives you an edge, you know, loves to trash talk, doesn't back down from stuff. Uh, I think I'm not saying that's something the Cavs necessarily lack, but I don't think it's anything you don't ever want. I don't think you never really it's have a team much of, of nice that. young men, Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think Niang is a guy that gives you a bit of an edge and has that playoff experience, even if he's not gone 
super deep. He's played in a lot of playoff series at this point in his career already. So uh, I really like that signing. It's a guy that I think the Sixers are going to miss a lot, and the Cavs uh, will benefit a lot from having around and being on you know, in the rotation. Something I'm interested to hear, because, you know, obviously we have you here to talk Sixers, but like you are really an astute observer of the league. And, you know, you've written some of some of my favorite pieces about the Cavs uh, over the last couple of years. And, you know, so much that I find interesting about the Donovan Mitchell experience was, you know, in Utah, they started out playing two bigs um, and they kind of just kept downshifting, downshifting, downshifting <laughs> to the point where. You know, it became this regular season juggernaut that in the postseason kind of they just said, Rudy, solve everything. And like to some extent, like with the addition of Niang, with the addition of Struess, the Cavs are kind of doing the same, except they're saying, Jarrett and Evan, please solve everything. Like, do you think that like that just the fact that the Cavs have that generational defender at the four in Mobley next to Allen kind of like how much do you think they can paper over? Do you think that uh, or do you think they'll kind of run into the same problems in miniature that the Jazz ran into defensively in the postseason? I think this year is really big for gauging the long-term viability of the Mobley-Allen connection. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who understandably you know, talk about moving Allen and kind of seeing where it opens up for Mobley and kind of giving him more space. But yeah, as you mentioned, it, it does put a lot of onus on Mobley. I think I think the benefit that Mobley has over Gobert is even already there's a lot more to his game offensively. I don't know necessarily if he's like a more impactful player than Gobert was at his peak offensively yet because of the screening and how good of a finisher Mobley was. But you see more flashes of the the scoring from the elbow, the driving. You saw a lot of you know, I think one of the things that people kind of ignore last year because of how much Mobley struggled in the postseason was how much better he got as a regular season offensive player. You know, he got much better as a finisher. I think he improved his screening a little bit, um, more self-creation, and the numbers all bear that out. Um, and so that that's kind of the, the thing for me is when teams went small against the Jazz to kind of go offense first all the time, Gobert couldn't counter that because he doesn't have the back-to-the-basket. He doesn't have the face-up game, uh, whereas Mobley maybe does, right? Maybe he can be like, okay, you're going to try to play a 6-8 guy at, at center and go, and go five out. I'll just crush you on the inside, like, all around pick and rolls with Donovan and, and Darius and all that. We'll have the spacing around them and, and really punish you for that. So that's that's where I'm curious if that's the route that that uh, that Cleveland takes. But I really am. I really do think this is a huge year because Jared's a great player and there's nothing against him. He's just not the long-term prospect of Mobley and and probably won't have the same peak. Obviously, as an all-star, you know, appearance under his belt, unlike Mobley. But um, I, I really am curious to kind of see what they can do with this core because you know, as I was mentioning earlier like what what is that trade-off of having a coral maybe play less and giving more minutes to Struess and Niang so uh to, yeah to me, I, I do, do see the parallels for sure yeah, yeah to me it kind of like like if you're starting Max Struess and you're saying like on our you know we kind of think this is going to be our best lineup like obviously Struess might not finish every single night maybe some maybe we're in a postseason series and Okoro is finishing we don't know but um you know I think to in some way, this is kind of the stress test of like, how hard can we push this, th- that big man pairing on defense? Like how, like, could, can we still be a top five defense in the league with these two bigs that are elite defenders at their positions, even if we're running Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell and Max Struess 
uh, for heavy minutes alongside them. And I'm going to be real interested in that lineup data uh, as it pours in over the course of the year, because like, you know, like that's one, if, if you did have a criticism for this Cavs team right now, I would say that I don't really know what their like, no doubt killer five lineup is still mm-hmm. like we didn't leave the post, the, the off season with that answer. Like maybe it's truce, but like, you know, that that's quite a, uh, a dearth of perimeter defense uh, out there. So I, I'm super interested to kind of see how far that, that pairing can take them on the defensive end. And I think too, the question here is like, is what, and this isn't to put all the pressure by any means on Donovan, but it also like what, what defender inversion of him do we, do we get the one that we saw for to really open last year when I thought he was pretty dang good and solid overall, or do we get the one that we saw in the postseason the last couple of years where He's getting, you know, he's getting his butt kicked by, by Jalen Brunson, can't really offer any sort of resistance to the point of attack. And um, and then also, too, like, what does playing with such size behind Max Drews do for him, right? Like, Bam Adebayo is a great defender, but there's no mistaking the fact they never really had a four in Miami, right, that rangey four to kind of, you know, close down more space. So yeah. um, I, I think Strews played there. about Strews played about 30% of his minutes at the four. So that, yeah, that kind of proves the point. <laughs> are they rotating through Kevin Love or Haywood Highsmith or Jimmy Butler? All guys that like aren't really known for, um, you know, playing the four or being really effective defenders at the four in this stage of their career, you know, in the case of, of uh, you know, Kevin Love. And I guess Haywood Highsmith is a pretty good defender, but he's more of a two slash three, I think, than a four, ideally. Um, so that's where I'm kind of curious as well. But yeah, I... I by no means am I wanting to say this is a make or break year for, for the Cavs, but I do think it will be a really informative year for them um, because it, it is hard for me to say it's a make or break year when you have this much talent that's still, you know, under contract and uh, oh, and yeah. is fairly young entering their prime. Um, but I think it is a really informative year for what the vision of what the Cavs try to, to build around and really, you know, get back to the mountaintop, you know, or close to the mountaintop, you know, in the NBA playoffs. Yeah, I just feel like they have more options to go to, right? Like, I, I think that was one of the biggest issues in the playoffs was they just didn't have lineup versatility. Like, the core four with a core, that worked really well. Uh, with Karis LeVert in there, that was their best lineup from a net rating perspective uh, throughout the year. But they didn't have a lot of other looks you can go to. And I think having someone like George Niang that you can play at the four, I think that's going to be interesting because you look at it, right, even from an offensive rating standpoint, um, Mobley and Allen together, that was the best offensive rating yeah, out of all the kind of versions or combinations that you can play. Like when it was just Mobley, um, the, the offensive rating was worse than when the two of them were together. Same goes for when Allen was on his own. And I, I think some of that was we just didn't have a lot of options to go to when you kind of shift down to those smaller lineups. So um, do they end up pairing Niang with Okoro so that you have better point of attack defense when you might not have as much backline help uh, with Niang there, right? Like there, there's so many questions like that, that, uh, that I'm really interested to see kind of how they're deployed. Uh, but with Niang in particular, do you think kind of the best use of him is to have him as like the third big, uh, that, that stretch four, uh, just kind of playing more small ball, or do you envision using him more kind of as the Lowry market and large uh small forward even even though he's not a seven footer uh more traditional height he, he doesn't necessarily move like a six seven wing yeah he certainly lacks the size and fluidity of, of lowry and you know well also much much lesser gifted you know as a wing defender but um the idea that I was, not that you guys are confused but if any, anyone's trying to like stand parallel just the idea that like you know that you have a back you have two backline enforcers to kind of cover up any mistake mistakes 
that you know either one would make was kind of where I was trying the similarities, but they end, they end there. But I see him mostly as a four, but I like I said, I do see worlds where he can play the three, um, you know, where he can run some of those slide screen actions for a Garland or a Mitchell, let them get downhill or uh, or just or even, you know, maybe they're running staggered actions with a, with a Mobley or an Allen rolling or a both them rolling, things like that. So, uh, yeah, I think he's best as a four. And I imagine, you know, the numbers uh, reflect that as well. I know Clean the Glass does a good job of tracking like your net rating or your team's net rating, depending on the position you play. I haven't looked at them, but just having watched basically every game Niang play for the Sixers, I think they're generally better with him with the four. I don't know how often they play him with the three, but they also kind of had that weird wing group last year with Tobias, Tucker, and Niang, who were all kind of fours, but sometimes had a masquerade as three. So it was a weird weird group on their own right. Um, but yeah, We're, we're used he's... to that. We're used to that. Between <laughs> yeah, Larry, can, Dean I'm... Wade, Lamar Stevens, there, there's a lot of fours that have yeah, played the three. The Sixers the and Cavs are... Uh, using a bunch of fours as three is their uh it's kind of part i guess it's part of the creative of the franchise these days for them but um yeah he, he's best as a four but uh i do think the the prowess of mobley and allen and the playmaking talent and shot making talent of garland and uh mitchell gives you a little more leeway than um than maybe what we saw in philly that it's also never much like Miami never really had that that roaming four alongside mb right i think you know they kind of did, I guess, if you want to say Simmons off through that size for a few years, but it was a different type of position. But the last, last couple of years, at least, they haven't had that roaming force and seeing has been there. So uh, I am really excited to kind of see what Nian can do in, in a different context, um, even if he's kind of playing a similar role to what he's done most of his career. Something we've, uh, you know, we talked about with this Cavs offseason is that even though they addressed their biggest weakness, which in you know, our opinion was three-point shooting, they really didn't address the rebounding. Um and, you know, you go look at Niang, who's probably going to play a lot of minutes at the four for them. The rebounding numbers are not good. Um, you know, I, I think some uh, hopeful among us uh, have uh, have pointed out that he's played almost his entire career next to Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid. And <laughs> it's kind of hard to get, you know, those guys eat a lot of boards. Uh, you know, uh, what, what should Cavs fans expect from him there? Is he a do-your-job kind of guy? He'll box out, but you know, he's got he's kind of famously got that body type where, you know, he should be a good box out guy. Um, but like, is he, or is he, or is this going to be a thing where the Cavs already were, you know, they finished uh, after the all-star break and obviously in the playoffs, dead last in defensive rebound rate. Is, is it going to be more of the same in the minutes Niang's on the floor? I think you're looking at more of the same. I mean, he's, he's a six, seven, four who can't jump very well. I mean, it's just, <laughs> uh, I think that was the biggest gripe to a lot of Sixers folks, whether it's writers, fans, analysts, uh, and I think it's, it's a it's a totally justified uh, gripe for sure, criticism, however you want to frame it. But uh, yeah, but I, but as we mentioned before, even for all the offensive rebounds the Cavs uh, handed Mitchell Robinson last year, they still didn't really have true issues on the defensive side of the floor. So the hope would be even even if those persist, um, that they're not you know sinking the ship, and you're really kind of the offense is working a lot better. So. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't expect Niang to quell any rebounding issues, but I do think he, he can help a lot in the ways that we've already discussed. Yeah, and I, I think you can get the help in other areas, right? Like if Allen and Mobley get a little bit stronger, get a little bit better on the glass, not like they're not good rebounders. Mitchell's a, a pretty good rebounder for his size as well, you know, just kind of chip in team effort. And I, I still kind of get a little bit of a feeling that we're in a position where we've been the last couple of years, which is, Cavs need Dean Wade to play well, 
because when Wade is out there, all of a sudden, you know, all the rebounding numbers are great. He like he's just the, this net rating god for them. And you don't want to be in a position where you're like, okay, the Cavs, you know, they they got all these guys, but you need Dean Wade to be healthy. But I still kind of feel like the the backup for just the the lack of options there is something that I have my eye on. Um, obviously, you can't fill every single one of your holes um, in an off season, especially when you don't have a lot of uh, resources to work with. But whether it's you know Dean Wade as that third string power forward or maybe having a look of Isaiah Mobley um, playing a a little bit at the four as well. Maybe they're able to smooth that over and get the support they need, but hopefully the support they get from those guys is as good as the support we get from zoom support for this podcast. And the following message comes from zoom half a million businesses connect using zoom, a single platform for phone chat workspaces, events, apps, and video zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. All right, Jackson, we got to talk about the Sixers. Things are a little bit weird for you guys, and I'm going to start with a really general question. Can this season be salvaged? Uh, I I have a tough time seeing that. I think, uh, I mean, just for all of Harden's faults, uh, you know, the playoffs or, you know, our, you know just the struggles there, um, he did make the Sixers pretty dang good. He made life for Embiid a lot easier offensively, made life easier for Tyrese Maxey. Uh, he just, I mean, He's just a really good player. Like I, I on the court, I mean, he was a borderline all-star, borderline all-NBA candidate, I think, to an extent. Uh, and just, you know, one of the 10 best, you know, passers in the NBA, uh, probably conservatively there. But uh, I think so. I think that loss is pretty tough. I think the Niang loss is tough. Like I said, I don't know. Like, I don't think Niang was like one of their three or four best players, but the way he opened up lineups in a way that PJ Tucker didn't, and that's not to say PJ Tucker didn't offer good things. He just, He's not a guy that team tended to guard a lot in that corner, whereas Niang you had to shoot above the break and things like that. Um, and then you look at, you know, the loss of Jalen McDaniels, who gave you some kind of much-needed athleticism and range at the three and four. And you lose a guy like Jake Milton, who could offer you some you know, some ball handling depth. And that, and they they replaced him with Patrick Beverly, but Patrick Beverly is a different type of reserve guard than, than Jake Milton in, in a lot of ways. So uh, I just I think they were really good last year. They had a chance to make a deep run and. Uh, obviously fell short. I, I just have a tough time seeing them be anywhere close to the stature they were last year with Harden out of the full with Niang providing them with Niang's absence now providing much less flexibility in lineups. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on, you know, Tyrese Maxey to develop. There's a lot of pressure on to, can Nick Nurse really provide you a huge step up from Doc Rivers, who I thought honestly was pretty dang good last year. People, you know, he has his faults and I was never one to necessarily you know, shy away from critiquing some of my, you know, my my fault, my frustrations with the way he he did things. But I thought he was really good last year. I think he pushed a lot of good buttons, uh, and so I, I am skeptical that Nurse provides some major boost that closes the gap from Harden's absence, Niang being gone, less ball handling depth, um, and Peter Tucker a year older, things like that. So uh, I do think maybe the the argument could be that okay, like Tobias Harris has always been a guy who's better when he has more room to kind of operate and more chance to touch the ball. Uh, I don't know if that necessarily worked, but that could be an argument in their favor. I'm skeptical, but yeah, I, I think, you know, this team once Harden came back from injury, I think in early December played at like a 58, 59 win pace. And I think they won 54, 55 on the year. I think they would probably be lucky to get 50 this year. Um, and 50 is hard. Like it's, it's, I don't want to say like, I don't want to like downplay that, but when you're trying to win a title and you've got a top, five, seven player, whatever you call Joel Embiid, 
you're looking for more than just being a 51 team as you're, you're stealing for sure. Uh, you know, in terms of, you know, you, you listed all the reasons why things are not looking so good for Philly. If, the, if they were to salvage their season and they were to have a really strong year, like, is there a road that doesn't involve Tyrese Maxey becoming a full-blown star-level guard? Yeah, I, I struggle to see one at all. I think, like, somehow the only way is, like, they so there's some weird way or world where Harden has a turn of heart um, because admittedly he does seem like a guy who's a little fickle in terms of his his convictions and, and whatnot. That's not a criticism. It just seems to kind of be the reality of the last few years. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but, like, if we're looking at a world where some of the Sixers are really good, that's got to be one of the slight possibilities, I suppose. But, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of – um, I, I, I don't want to use the word pressure, but yes, there's a lot of eggs in the basket of Tyrese Maxey helping keep the Sixers. Um, I guess you can say title window. It feels hard to call anything a title window when you haven't made it out of the second round. Mm. Um, like you're just not close to t- it's like you're just not that close to title contention, I think. Um, but yeah, I think if they're going to be anywhere as good as they were last year, and again, I do think despite that game seven flame out, that was a really good team last year. Um, to push a really good Celtics team to seven that pushed a heat team that was really, really good in the playoff uh, and was a year removed from its own Eastern conference appearance, a uh, finals appearance uh, is a testament to all three of those teams, of course. So yeah, I think it's gotta be, can Maxi become more of that legit primary initiator type of guy, right? I think he's really, really good playing off of Harden with his blend of uh, speed and shooting. Um, but the playmaking hasn't been there. He's not super comfortable kind of probing in that mid range. I think, one of the things that I've learned the last couple of years watching the playoffs so in-depth is how important that mid-range area is. You don't have to necessarily be a killer there, but you have to be super comfortable operating from there. Uh, I think you look at a guy like Jamal Murray, a guy like Jalen Brunson, um, obviously Chris Paul for all those years, Devin Booker. Um, these sorts of guys are really comfortable operating there. And that's something that Tyrese Maxey hasn't necessarily developed yet. And so I think that would be the big key for him. So I I, I don't really see a world where he is – his growth from above average starter to someone in the all-star conversation. Um, I think that's kind of where you're trying to go and that where you would like him to go. And that's how you would be able to uh, maybe mitigate the loss of Harden and Yang and Milton and, and whatnot and having PJ Tucker, your older MBD, your older things like that. Yeah. It, it's hard to go from, you know, banging your head against a, a second round ceiling to saying, okay, you know, a little bit of internal growth as we lose James Harden, if they do in fact lose James Harden, that's going to get us over the hump, right? Like, <laughs> but I, I am curious with Max because he he is someone that I I really do like. Uh, I like him as a player, but I've always seen him. I as fear kind of, him. Yeah, I, there's <laughs> he, there's he that killed the Cavaliers. <laughs> he, he plays great against the Cavs, but I've always kind of seen him more in like the Ant Simons, Colin Sexton off guard role right like i i don't know if he necessarily has the playmaking chops to you know be that lead guard do you think that that's something that he can add to his game that that he has that type of upside when it comes to playmaking or is his best role maybe you know continuing to play off guard secondary playmaking and running more of the offense through like joel Embiid as a central hub well i think his current best role is certainly that off ball uh, scored kind of a, a wonderkin as a secondary scorer. I mean, his 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 efficiency the last couple of years has been pretty ridiculous. I think like I think po- since Harden arrived, he's averaging something like twenty two on 61, 62 percent true shooting with pretty good playoff numbers as well. 
Um, but you did start to see some pretty noticeable growth as a playmaker and decision maker before Harden uh, arrived, obviously, because he was their, their primary point guard. Him and Seth Curry handled a ton of ball handling duties, um, which is a pretty strange <laughs> weird thing to say. Looking back now, Seth Curry's a nice player, but him and second year Tyrese Maxey is your, your best ball handlers is probably not a great place to be uh, as a team. But you did see some some good stuff. I think there was a lot of people that tended to praise the assist to turnover ratio his first couple of years. Um, but I think that kind of belied how good he was as a playmaker. I think it kind of underscored his risk aversion, but you, you've seen him at times get better about trying to try some more stuff, things like that. Um, so I'm excited to watch him this year. I think he's really like, I mean, cause we can, let's just assume that Harden's new is gone. I mean, he said it himself, so I don't think it's even an assumption, but I'm excited to watch him play that starting point guard role. Um, assuming they don't get some really, really good starting point card, you know, in, in place of Harden, which doesn't seem likely. Um, I want to see him continue to grow. I want to see him to get more comfortable probing that mid range area, um, keeping his dribble alive, at, you know, mid pressure stunts at the nail, things like that. So, uh, I think it's, it's kind of a, his optimal role, like you said, Justin, like is, is right now that off ball guy, but, uh, I, I, I can see a world where he's like, he's not a superstar initiator, but the blend of his ability to work on and off the ball very comfortably um, does put him in that star status on top of his continued defensive growth. Uh, I think he definitely got issues defensively and isn't necessarily a positive, but I think he's a fine guard defender. Um, I think he's he definitely gotten you know better in certain respects, but um, you know he's not super long, he's not super tall, of course, so always can be limited in, in certain ways. But uh, yeah, I, I'm really encouraged by him, and I, I think this could be a big year for him. Uh, for better or for worse, maybe just maybe he just not turns out doesn't turn out to be a, a guy who you want handling the ball at times. But uh, his shooting off the dribble does seem pretty great, especially from deep. So that can kind of mitigate a lot of maybe mid range discomfort or discordance and playmaking limitations. But I do think if he does handle that starting point guard role, you'll see a lot of growth as a playmaker, even if he's not like the level of even a guy like Donovan Mitchell as a playmaker who. Mm-hmm. is below a Garland or a Trey or a Harden, but it's still very good in his own right. But I think you could, let's say he could be like a B minus B type of playmaker among starting point guards. That would be pretty good. I think be a step up from the B minus C plus range. I'd probably have him in now. So you, I, I think it's probably time to rip, rip yield bandaid off because, you know, you, you, <laughs> you mentioned uh, a Harden return and kind of what it looks like. And, you know, this isn't like the other Harden exits where, his value was very high around the league. Even even when he uh, was traded to Philly, you know Ben Simmons was considered a you know a, a worthwhile piece, and and Philly sent value to go get him. It kind of feels like the le- the entire league has kind of collectively decided like, are we sure we want to be in the James Harden <laughs> business? Um, given you know all the baggage that comes with it, and like not that much success in the in the biggest moments especially as he's, you know, uh, entering the twilight period of his career. Um, what's the best case for a return here? Like, you know, like Maury held his cards with Ben Simmons. He and and he laughed his way to the bank. He had a, he made a great deal. So hardened for, you know, even even considering what's happened now, I still think it was a, a good deal, especially mm-hmm. given how poorly the Ben Simmons era has gone. Do you expect the same and like, like, do you think he's going to get the same level of um, uh, of return? No, I, I don't think at all. I think especially um, just like, because as you mentioned, 
you know, the, the playoff issues are what really I hold on to. And I think Harden in his prime and his peak, some of that stuff was overblown. Like he's had, he had a lot of really, really impressive playoff moments, but the way he approached and just kind of his, like his style and game stick against the heat two years ago in game seven against the, the Celtics this past year, it's hard to have a lot of faith in him being a guy who's so central to what you do and rely on him so much in these moments. Um, so I think he's lost all the value there. I think the best case, uh, and, and you never want to root for injuries, but I think the best case is like, is a Clipper stumble out of the gate, PG or Kawhi misses some time, uh, and they're off to like a 6-12 and 12 start. Uh, and these role, these cast role players that are best kind of around stars aren't really be able to fill in the gaps. And so, you know, Balmer and uh, Lawrence Frank get kind of antsy and uh, they, they may move off their position. They won't trade you know, a pick or Terrence Mann or all that. And so you get some, you know, smorgasbord of Mann, Powell, maybe a Covington, maybe that first round pick. And I think it's 2030 they have available. Um, it's way out there. It's, it's, it's maybe even a pick that, you know, for a year that won't even exist. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that's your best case scenario, right? Like just, just kind of some of those Clippers role players add some depth, hope that, you know, like you said, Terrace Max can, can become a pretty good primary ball handler. Uh, then you've got a Norm Powell who could kind of fill Maxi's role to an extent. Uh, I think they're different players. Norm Powell is is very similar that he's really good getting downhill uh, and really good shooting the three ball, but pretty limited as a playmaker and defender because of his size. Um, but that would kind of be similar. And Terrence Mann would give you some nice physicality and downhill scoring. They need, they definitely need more range and athleticism on the wing. Covington, even though he's much you know declined a lot from his peak, is still a pretty useful defender, especially off the ball. Uh, maybe he get back to 36, 37% from three rather than I think he had a down year last couple of seasons from three, but um, I don't think that would necessarily like vault you into back into that, that tier with Boston, Milwaukee, where I thought the Sixers were last year, but um, it's certainly a better reality than where they look to be right now with uh, probably starting Maxine Melton. And then you have a Harris Tucker and MB, and then you've got like, I guess, Beverly House and, and Reed off the bench. And I think those are all pretty useful guys in certain regards. But if that's the kind of all the depth you have, you're in a pretty tough spot. So um, adding some depth and maybe hoping that Embiid can finally stay healthy for a playoff run and maybe learn you know, from some of his own struggles this past year in the, in the playoffs to really kind of be an MVP level player, you know, into the playoffs as well um, on both ends. That would be kind of the goal for sure. But uh, that's kind of the, the, tippy top i think uh shake out for the sixers but i don't think that's probably what's going to happen it seems like maybe man and you know uh, maybe not even man but i I don't know it just yeah uh, it's it's hard man it's hard to find because like the market seems so cool it does seem like if i'm if i'm daryl morey i think all i can do is let this drag into the season and wait for a market to develop because it's not like because you know, with, with the Ben Simmons deal, it was like he had offers and those offers weren't like horrible um, in the offseason. It doesn't really seem like there is even a market right now. I mean, with, with if Terrence Mann is a maybe uh, in some of these reported negotiations, like that's a tough starting spot. Like, and do you see any other teams like you look at you just kind of look up and down the association at who would kind of take a crack? It's the Clippers and like. You know, maybe the Lakers get reckless because they do have some tradable salary. Um, but like, is there anyone else that you even see that like even logically yeah. makes sense, even if they were feeling a little frisky? Yeah, I, th- 
I this I mean I'm probably getting pre limber here, but just based on the fact that like get limber, yeah, yeah it's, I can do it hypothetically. I can't do it in reality. Um, but I think like something involving Levine. I know the Bulls, and you know it seems like he's available. Maybe the Bulls want to. I mean, they're a team that could use some more playmaking. Um, maybe they're like you know Demar's a free agent after this year. Uh, it's it's all the Bulls are a very weird franchise because I could see them wanting to. To restart, just kind of banking on the Bulls being Bullsy. Yeah, but it's because I can see them wanting to okay, let's let's kind of fr- start fresh, but then they just sign Vooch to a not a bad deal necessarily, but a, it's a lot of money tied up still. Um, but I can see that maybe I think that would be pretty good, but I still think you're looking at a weird bit where like both Levine and, and Max are better as off ball scorers and have some playmaking limitations. I think Levine's limitations are much less pronounced than Maxi's as passers, but um, certainly not guys who can set up and be the same way Harden could. Um, Maybe somehow you're able to get like maybe I, I it doesn't seem likely at all, but like is it horrible? Like they end up with Dame somehow, like they, they move Maxi somewhere else and they recoup some picks for that. Like I, I don't know. This is all like very, very like would you be happy with that? Like you you think like going all in on Dame would that be the type of thing that would get them over the hump? Um, just kind of considering that they wouldn't have a lot, like they don't have a lot of depth to begin with. And if they kind of cash in what they had for Dame, like for a long-term health, do you, do you think the upside is there? Like even in the short term? Yeah, I, I think it's tough because, you know, you, you never want to necessarily like assume or speculate, but it does seem like maybe they're starting to have to face the Embiid wandering eye clock a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so like, maybe, maybe that's even worse. Maybe like, I mean, Dan was great last year, but what if, what if he starts to fall off a cliff all of a sudden and then MB it makes it even easier because there's no maxi and there's no picks, things like right. that. So uh, I don't know. It's, it's not a situation I want to be in. Obviously Maury has his own culpability in, in putting himself in this situation, but, um, and that's not to say that, you know, Harden hasn't exacerbated on his own, but yeah. Um, you know, like anything, there's there's always multiple points of failures yeah. and yeah. shared the, blame. The situa- yeah, the responsibility contains multitudes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's a fair point that maybe you don't want to go the route, but it is also it. I, it's hard to necessarily fault Maury um, in this wild possibility of pairing, you know, Dame Lillard and Joel Embiid. It's like arguably pretty the cool. best. <laughs> it's arguably the best pick and roll. You know, I mean, I guess let's say Steph. I don't want to downplay Steph, but second best pick and roll player in the league. With a guy named Beto, I think was like the highest volume pick and roll player last year as a role man, and had one of the best uh, uh, points per possession as a roller. So, uh, and he's just a much better scorer than Harden at this at this stage of his career. Lesser playmaker, but uh, I think you could you could survive that trade off for sure. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a fair point in, in all regards. But again, this is we're talking pie in the sky uh, hypotheticals. I think you know the. The, even of the slightest of realities would be the one involving Levine, the bull, yeah. maybe a three teamer that sends, you know, routes Levine to the Sixers and, you know, some stuff and a pick to the Bulls from the Clippers and then Harden to the Clippers. So, but who knows? I, I think the, the most likely outcome is something involving the Clippers and Sixers where both sides get a little desperate and maybe concede a little bit or one side gets desperate and concedes, you know, three, four weeks into the season, a month into the season. Well, as we're taking this leisurely stroll down a hypothetical lane, let's get your take. We, we've been doing this throughout the team previews. I want to get your rankings for right, regular season rankings for what you think the top six in the Eastern Conference is. Who are the six teams you think will avoid the play in this season? Yeah, so I think Celtics, Celtics and Bucks are right there. Um, I think I, I think 
the Cavs seem like a pretty good bet for all of the stuff we talked about with their their playoff woes. I think they are going to be really good in the regular season again. It's yet to be seen if that translates to the postseason like they would they, like they intend, but I would expect them to miss it, you know, or miss the play in. It's weird to say miss the plan as a yeah. <laughs> as a as a compliment, but that's or avoid the plan. I think is probably the best way to frame it. Um, I think the Knicks, the Knicks have been a team that seem to have a lot of durability. Um, Brunson and Randall don't really miss time, and they're really good volume players. I think honestly, Brunson is more than just a volume player, but Randall's a very good kind of floor raiser at the very least. Um, I am kind of curious. To see, yeah, yeah, I am curious to see kind of if he, you know, if he can be. If you can get, enter the postseason healthy, I know he had his struggles against the Hawks two years ago, Randall, but maybe you know not playing on a bum ankle might might help him a little bit. But who's to say? Um, wasn't like that was his only issue in the playoffs. Um, but I think there there so that'll be four, and then God, other than that, like it's it's tough to see. Like, I mean, the Heat are such a like even if they get Dame, they're a team that kind of seems to prioritize long term health. Even though Jimmy's great when he does play, he's a guy that likes to take some time off. Um, not like in game, but just take some games off. Yep. Um, and their depth wouldn't be great if they they got Dame. I'm not saying they shouldn't get Dame by any means, but you would be pretty low on depth. The one injury might hurt you even more than it did the last couple of years. Um, I think the Hawks are. I think I like the Hawks a lot this year, relatively speaking. I think Quinn Snyder's a much better offensive mind than Nate McMillan. Uh, I like kind of the development of maybe some of the young guys and Okongwu and Jalen Johnson, AJ Griffin. Um, I think maybe I, I another... harbor fear. I harbor fear of the Hawks uh, yeah, in a weird yeah. way. They just kind of feel like that that team that everyone's bored with, um, and they, their vibes have not been so good the last couple of years. But it's like you look up and down the roster, it's like oh, a lot of pretty good players. Like yeah. they, yeah, they, they I... should be pretty good. Yeah, and then I'm, I'm trying to think. Okay, like I'm not a Nets guy. Like I think they could have a pretty interesting defense, but that offense was Easy, pretty atrocious and Easy, and, just. And Justin they, and they hates just, the Nets. I don't know <laughs> well, why. They just, they just weren't good, like good post trade trades last year. And that makes sense. They traded away Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but like the offense was terrible. And like, they don't really have a lead ball handler. Like I think McCumbers is a very good player who could maybe be in the running for all-star consideration next year, but he's not like a primary initiator. He's very limited as a passer. Um, they're just not like, they're just, I don't really think they're a playoff team next year. So, I mean, like, I think. Where, I where are like, you on Indy? I, I'm I'm I like, I'm I, like Indy, I like Indy. I think Indy's a team that should compete for a playoff spot, but it's hard for me to put them in that top six. Yeah. Um, I, I've I noticed you haven't good. put the Sixers. Yeah, I just I don't know. Like, I would put them in that tier with like the Hawks, where I could see it, and maybe like I'd bank on it over the Hawks. But like, I expect this to be a 47, 46 win team, which is where I think. The Hawks could be. I think the Magic could be up there too. The Magic played 500 yeah. ball. I think once Markel Fultz came back, um, you know that it's it's a it's a good Eastern Conference. Uh, the, the the Pistons are trying to be better. I think some of the moves they've made should help Kid Cunningham, and he's obviously a great player in his own. Omar is going to be a great player. I think he's good already. Um, I like people. I don't. I don't want. I don't want to. People are sleeping on the Hornets, but I do think the Hornets could be okay. Like Lamelo missed a lot of time last year. Uh, like obviously Miles Bridges seems like a pretty wretched human, but he is a good basketball player. And if he's playing, he's going to help them. Like that's, that's just the reality of it. Unfortunately, I think Mark Williams can take a step. Uh, if they're play- yeah. Um, I've been actually watching a lot of stuff on him the last few days to write something, but 
Um, yeah, he, he's impressive too. Um, you know, if they retain PJ Washington, that would be pretty nice as well. Um, so it could be derailed a bit by maybe they try to kind of really explore what Brandon Miller is as a career that could hurt them somewhat. But like, that's not me saying I think they're going to be a top six team, but like, I don't think they're going to be a pushover. Um, they won 27 games last year and they didn't have Miles Bridges. They had, and they had half of LaMelo Ball, uh, were probably their two best players. And so again, I'm not, this isn't, you know, like I, I don't like Miles Bridges as a person, but he is good at basketball and it is going to help them win games, assuming he is of the caliber he was two years ago. Yeah, they, they were in the play tough. in two two straight years, right? Yeah, like, and, so, and they they added good young talent like Mark Williams yeah, makes sense. I think uh, that there's a pretty Miller bunch get there. middle. Yeah, there should. I don't think there's like there's just, it's tough for me to look at like the the Eastern Conference and like see a lot of teams that are tanking. And I think there's a pretty big middle class. But I think for now, I will go with um, the five teams that avoided last year, um, the top five teams last year, and then put Atlanta in place of Brooklyn. Um, but that could be something to change if Miami gets Dame. I think they'd be very good. But as of now, I'll throw the, the top five seeds last year plus Atlanta. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised, like, if anyone is basically a set for Washington snuck in there. I don't think Washington's going to be terrible. I don't think they're going to be good. But they have a lot of NBA players in their roster. You're, you're and... now, now you're getting into, you know what, I just appreciate every single team. And you know what? I appreciate them so much. That I can talk myself into them being good. No, no. Watch no, I, no. I can't talk myself into them being good. But uh, I think they have too many competent NBA players. Usually when you're tanking, you have a lot of like fringe guys or bad players getting a lot of minutes. Maybe they go that route with their young guys. But um, I just don't think they're really going to be any big rollovers next year in the Eastern Conference, which kind of goes back to my, my point about it's hard to project maybe beyond even three or four deep in this conference. We we, we respect Danny in this household. <laughs> I, I, I like his game. So you have Milwaukee and Boston at the top, right? Like the, those were your top two. I, I think it's fair to say those are the teams you have most confidence in um, for the postseason and probably Miami as well, just given the success they've had. Uh, is there anyone else you yeah, have in that I'm... mix if we're talking like, postseason confidence power rankings yeah Miami's a tough one because I think one of the strengths of their roster last year is they had a lot of ball handling depth whether it was Vincent uh Jimmy and I guess they were missing Tyler Hero but Jimmy uh Vincent Struess could handle can handle the ball somewhat he's not a guy you want running seven pick and rolls a game but he's a guy in a pinch on the second side can do some stuff for you um then they lost obviously two of those guys Lowry's a year older I don't want them to over like extend Lowry, he was really good in a bench roll last year at 22, 23 minutes per game rather than the 30, 32 he was playing when he first came to Miami. Um, but obviously, if they got Dame, like that would change the calculus considerably. Uh, but yeah, other than those top two, it's it's tough to have a lot of confidence in anyone. I think like Cleveland and New York probably earn a lot of respect there. Um, like Miami, I, I want to put up there as well because Jimmy's really good and Bam is really good. And um, maybe they, like, do they get a better shooting year from? Duncan Robinson, uh, because a lot of their struggles last year was just the fact that they went from like the best three point shooting team in the league uh, to one of the worst. And then like kind of it leveled itself out in the playoffs. So um, if they're more of like a 37 percent three point shooting team, they're probably gonna be pretty good again. If they're the 33, 34, they were in the regular season. They're probably going to be, uh, you know, jockeying for a playing spot and yeah. needing the Max Drews explosion to, to, to uh, overcome the Bulls in the elimination game um not so happening that, anymore tough. we he's ours he's ours yeah and, yeah and exactly you know what? It's, maybe I, it's, I, it's probably duncan robinson this time or tyler yeah. heroes i guess tyler hero did play in that those games but still um yeah so like i i guess if i had to rank it i'd go boston milwaukee cleveland new york miami like i think those top two are in a tier and then the next three are in a tier 
Um, and then probably the Sixers in that tier as well, but kind of in a, like the second half of that tier almost. Like I, I like Cleveland more than the Sixers heading into the year, just kind of based on what we know about both teams currently. Um, Chicago just doesn't really inspire me much. I think like they're solid. Their, their defense is really impressive. I love watching Caruso. Levine's a really impressive versatile scorer, but I think they're just they're just very much capped when they're one of their best players is can't play because he's going through a ton of really disappointing injuries and lines of ball. So uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm. I think there's like a top six roughly, I'd say. But then mm-hmm. you know, like I mentioned, I think any of Indiana, Detroit, uh, Chicago, Toronto's in a weird spot. I don't know. So that's that's where I'm at. It's, it's there's a lot of kind of middling teams that I think could all jockey for some of those spots. But I like. Like that top six of Boston, Milwaukee, break a tier, Cleveland, New York, we break a tier, then Sixers and Miami, or break half a tier between you know New York and, and Philly right now. Yeah, I mean it's exciting for me because the Cavs are still going to have to prove that they're not going to beat themselves in the postseason, right? Like I, I think a lot of what happened in that series was you know inexperienced guys, you know, the processing speed of Evan Mobley, which has always been kind of one of his calling cards since he's come in, like just wasn't there, right? Like there, there were plenty of opportunities yeah. where like even just in the short role where he'd normally find Jared Allen for a lob, it's I'm thinking about this a little too much and it's half lob, half shot, and it's going off the rim, right? Like it, yeah, literally if, no one if, played well. If you would have told me two years ago that when I was watching Evan Mobley as a prospect that my biggest takeaway of, of his from his first playoff show was that he needs to improve in the short role. I would have been very, very surprised, but that's what happened. Yeah. He just got sped up. His footwork our, was weird. Our listeners are, are going to be absolutely <laughs> sick of me bringing up this fact, but I, I just love watching people's face. Uh, have you seen uh, on NBA.com what his points per possession was in, as a role man in that series? Uh, I, I, I'm going to say like 0, 0. 0.47. I don't even know. Yeah. It was 0.09. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that's not where you want to be. I think I think his true shooting was like forty seven or something too. Yeah, it, was, it was a really really yeah, rough. I uh, think so like that's that's what gets me so excited because I'm like I don't think that's going to happen again for Evan Mobley. Right? Like I I think these are all guys that are going to respond to that sort of thing, and it's just exciting that yeah, Boston and Milwaukee are are really good, but you know both of them have questions as well, right? Like it's a good Eastern Conference, but there's no like tried tested 100 every single year we're going to be a contender we're a juggernaut and you're going to have to knock us off like the warriors were uh during the run in, in the western conference yeah, and I th- that doesn't I exist think- right like there's an opportunity yeah. in my eyes for the Cavs that if they catch fire and uh everything starts to click you you don't know how, how far this thing can go yeah and i think just just on the other mobile topic one i i, I wrote about his short roll stuff at dime up rocks for anyone listening wants to uh, read that. I think you, you can just search like playoff lessons, uh, Mobley Dime Up Rocks, maybe toss my name in there and you'll find it. But I really just think like getting that floater from about 10 feet would, would open up a ton because like a lot of times with guys on the short roll, you talk about the passing is the issue, but I think kind of his lack of scoring was the bigger issue in the short roll. So just getting that little push shot down would do wonders. I think it, it would really kind of slow, slow his decision making, kind of quell some of the anxieties that go through his head maybe when he's on that short roll. Uh, would make things a lot easier and then also just like i have like i have a tough time seeing jared allen botch positioning as much as he did again like he's usually yeah. guys so technically sounds usually in the right spot just he was constantly overhelping against julius randall a guy who like is completely content to take tough shots 
he was letting, or even Jalen Brunson, who liked to take tough shots, he was letting them create advantages before they'd created them. It was a, it was a very weird series. Not to say that the Knicks didn't have a great strategy and the, and the Cavs don't have faults, but there's a lot of stuff that it was just like they they were clearly uh, not responding well to adversity, which is maybe an indictment in its own way that you have to address. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely some stuff you can address that isn't just, oh, like, as in Coro somehow get like great shooting gravity. Like, you can, uh, you know, which doesn't seem like it's going to happen, but um, is- that's okay. They got George Nagan and Max Truce, and maybe as Coro can be more of a selective uh, rotation guy with his, with his uh, versatile defense and cutting and all that. Yeah, fun fact, I believe Isaac uh, led the team in plus minus in that. He did. He was um, the only one that was uh, a positive he, he, in the net uh, rating department. But, you know, anyway, so something I did want to just ask you, like, to kind of take it, you know, back wide before, you know, we, we start uh, wrapping this thing up. The last two years, Justin and I have kind of felt like it's our obligation to, like, remind you, as this team's kind of been on a trajectory to remind everyone how young they are. You know, hey, this team's young. They're gonna lose stupid games they shouldn't lose. They're gonna they're gonna blow fourth quarters. They're gonna they're gonna build big leads and they're gonna give them up. They're gonna do young team things. They're, they're gonna lose a series that's going to just annoy the hell out of you. <laughs> and uh, and my question, really, to both of you, uh, at this point, is is that still the case? They're not gonna be playing a single player in their rotation uh, that is in their first or second year. Uh, their their youngest guy will be a third year player that's that's playing for them uh in, in Evan most of their most of their players have been in the league three to seven years um should we still view this team as a young team that we have to be patient with or are they at the level of seasoning that we should start raising those expectations on a night to night basis for you know them to start excising some of that young team stuff? I, I would say patience should still be adhered to, but it needs to be accompanied with progress, right? Like you, they can't bow out in the first round, even if it goes better than it did this year. And you can't still say, oh, like, you know, Mobley's in year three, Darius Garland's in year five, you know, Donald Mitchell just is entering his prime and it's same with Jared Allen, like that. Like they have to like, I think obviously the goal was to at least win a playoff series last year. But, you know, after you reflect on things, you can see why they maybe weren't prepared to do that last season. But this year, I think you have to make the second round. You have to be competitive in the second round. And if you don't, then, yeah, you're going to have some pretty big questions to answer about about the roster, right? Like, you know, I, I'm not, it's tough to know necessarily why this team might fail you know, or say why they why they failed this hypothetical second round. But um, you can you can see a world where maybe the Evan Mobley, Jared Allen pairing just doesn't have enough facing and offensive utility. So maybe you have to you have to reflect upon that. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think patience is still something you should adhere with to. And practice, but the Cavs will also have to show progress. It's been two straight years of progress, right? You think about they went from one of the worst teams, and then they t- because that's how they got out of Mobley, and then they nearly made the playoffs, and then they made the playoffs pretty easily, won 51 games, and now the next step is like, can you show that like like it's not just making the playoffs, it's 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 being a team that you know people are talking about individually and, and can and things like that. So uh, yeah, patience with progress is how I would how I would frame it. And it's like, like I said, it way earlier, it's just a, it's a big year for this team. And um, I'm optimistic about them, maybe to a fault because I've kind of always liked this core, but uh, I do think this team is going to be really good and not just a team that is a, a regular season, you know, analytical darling. Obviously they wanted to do one game, but they had some net rating indicators that had people really uh, optimistic about them beyond that. And that mm-hmm. certainly didn't prove true. 
Yeah. Uh, Prove uh, indicative would be the proper. Yeah. And I remember even last season when people are like, well, you know, like most teams with this net rating, they're, they're a contender. I'm like, they're not like the, the inexperience, like you have to have reverence for the teams ahead of them that have way more uh, playoff experience. I, that didn't excuse what happened against the Knicks. Right. But I agree with you. Like you, need to have patience, but there needs to be higher expectations. You need to see that progress. They need to win around. Um, like there's going to be times in the future, even if they get this together, even if they had a conference finals run, there's probably going to be times that are frustrating, right? Like even you look at Tatum and Brown um, first two years, conference finals, but then, you know, first round exit, you you have some mistakes. Um, LeBron James, who's one of the greatest playoff performance ever uh, 2007, didn't look great in the finals, right? Like a pop, not a lot of answers around him. Uh, four years later, shows up in 2011, and you know there's still some mental hurdles there. He's, there's still mistakes because he was just so young and had so much success so early on. Um, guys are uneven, right? Like they're, they're humans. You're you're going to make mistakes, and uh, especially when you're talking about guys this young, you're going to have times where it's frustrating and and they just don't play up to their own standards, but. You need to see that forward progress. You need to be at least executing at a level where you can kind of make better assessments of, okay, well, is it uh process? Is it execution? Is it fits? Like so many things went wrong in that series that it's just like, okay, we, we've got to, you know, improve the context around them and give them another chance at this to, to really figure out what we have. But um, I, I definitely think there's still going to be growing pains, but I do think it's fair to to expect more of this team. Yeah, absolutely. I just I just think like, and this is such a cliche, but uh, like w- winning is really really hard. Like, I think, of course, the Cavs and this this core want to uh, win a title or, ma- or make make an NBA Finals appearance, but it also might just top out at a couple of conference finals appearances or four or five series wins. Like, that's that's not to like you know throw you can draft an mvp and and still like pop out as a second round team right yeah that's not to throw that's not to throw water on the kind of this this enjoyable flame that they have going but it's just the reality of things i mean you look at you know you even mentioned a couple years ago when the uh you know when the Celtics had the injuries to kemba and and jalen brown that kind of derailed their season to an extent um but even last year was a disappointment for them like they were they were trying to to be on a revenge tour and they they bowed out in the second in the third round excuse me um Weird to call the third round. It's called the East Front Finals. I don't know why I said that, but um, but it's just it's just how it goes. Like it, it the reality, like it, they might the the Cavs might just end up as a team that makes a couple of conference finals, and it doesn't mean fans can't be frustrated. And you can't call it necessarily like a, a, a letdown from what they wanted, but like that's just how it might end up. And uh, I'm not trying to have anyone brace for that reality, but it's it's one that um, might just come to fruition. So. Um, I think yeah, it's just maybe. a reminder to like yeah. enjoy the regular season and enjoy what you have right now because yeah like, for sure that's what Carter and I said after LeBron left was we just want to have like a grit and grind era like that's that would be great if you had sustained success over like a seventy year period where we have because like I I always compartmentalize regular season and playoffs because there's this eighty two game stretch of multiple months where I'm spending three four nights watching my favorite team and are they making me have fun over four or five months i i think that's an important thing like i think for a fan like it's great when your team makes you have a really nice time a lot of the time and and there's a real value to that and i i think this is a team that can 
get over the hump. And I, I think this is a core that can do some really special things, but I, I just plan on trying to enjoy the hell out of what we have in the present, because we've seen uh, teams that look like they have massive runways, not have runway and, and weird things happen. So um, just cross our fingers and, and try to enjoy every moment we get. Yeah. I, I would say too, like, I think maybe some of the like, fans might say oh we did that last year and then you know so now we're always going to be apprehensive for this next year if we win 52 games again i think maybe the, the way to, to me shift it to like look for things throughout the regular season that you think could prove why this year is different why they could be a better team in the in the playoffs right i think that's like as someone who understands that like the regular season is not incredibly correlated all the time with the, the playoffs that's what i'm always looking for i'm looking for like okay why is this team maybe prepared well to thrive in the playoffs why is this team maybe have some weak points and so if you're a cast fan and say, okay, we won 51 games last year, and then look what happened. I, I don't really care about that again. Just look for what, like look for games, moments, possession, sequences that say, okay, this is why I think they're going to be better prepared in the spring this year against whoever they play and why they should be, you know, actually a team that reaches the second round and beyond or why I should have hope. And, and I don't want to kind of treat this as a, a, a redo of, of last season. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. I mean, if you're a Cavs fan or if you're an NBA fan, you should absolutely be reading everything Jackson does, following all of his work, because I, I think nobody does a, a better job uh, of breaking down those nuances and, and whatnot uh, than you do. As Carter said, you, you've run, written some of my favorite cast features over the last couple of years. So uh, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to sit here and talk with us. And uh, before we let you out of here, a- anything you got coming up that you want to plug? Uh, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, I'll have something on Mark Williams, I think, over at SB Nation this week. Um, I got Dynasty stocks on, on him. Let's go. <laughs> uh, if you're not familiar with his game, he's, just a, he's a pretty fun young center, some defensive talent, some a little bit of offensive versatility. I think he should be pretty fun next year with LaMelo Ball back in the fold. So um, other than that, I think I actually will have another Cavs thing this week. I've been doing this playoff lessons. Stop it. Um, playoff lessons thing. I think this one's going to be on Darius Garland. So I'm going to rewatch those oh. games this week and – Kind of see what I can find there. Obviously, like I said my earlier, I wrote about the Evan Mobley struggles at Dynamo Prox too. So the the Garland thing will be Dynamo Prox. Mark Williams which is probably less relevant to these listeners, SB Nation. But uh, that's all I have down the pipeline. I think uh, in, in the coming days. But yeah, I appreciate you two having me on, and I always enjoy uh, talking about this cab group. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. And really appreciate everyone that tuned in live on YouTube. Make sure you like and subscribe. Click notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast and you want to support us, leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot or review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cavs. <laughs>